All right, it is episode number 25 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We got the whole crew back this show. Jeremy Spector is here from the north side of Chicago. We've got Randall J. Sanders here from a bit further north than that. I'm Ronan O'Shea, and uh, just kudos to you guys. Very nice job. I was out last week with the show. I thought you both did a fantastic job. I enjoyed listening to it. It was fun. And Jeremy throwing shade at me within the first 30 seconds of the pod starting. So chance for some uh, retribution here tonight, Jeremy, I'd be ready if I were you. All right, bring it on. But it is good to be back with you guys. I was uh, out last time. We'd talk about that in just a minute. Did want to do a quick rundown though, give the fans an idea of uh, what we're talking about on the show here today. Um, And it's a tough time right now in Cubs baseball, six game losing streak. The Cubs now six and a half games out of first place with three more games on the road this weekend. They're in Cincinnati for three before wrapping up the first half of the season with a seven game homestand. So a lot to talk about here. Talk about that no hitter that happened last week in Los Angeles. Brutal week here in Milwaukee. Plenty to talk about there. There are injury updates. We've got upcoming games to preview. We've got weather to look at. Also, all-star starters announced today. So we'll have the Cubs tie in on that. So a lot to get to this evening. Although we're getting together here. One is a full crew for the first time in about two weeks. And two, with the team really falling on brutal times. I mean, a week ago tonight, the Cubs had a no-hitter in Los Angeles. You're thinking, all right, things are getting back on track. Since then, though, Jeremy, total disaster culminated yesterday and get that seven-run top of the first, followed by a loss in Milwaukee. Yeah, that Milwaukee series is extremely demoralizing. I mean, I I can't think of a more demoralizing uh, series that the Cubs have had, you know, at least this year. I mean, there's been some others in recent years, but... Uh, you know, the uh, the series in Los Angeles, you knew it was going to be tough. You knew that the series with Milwaukee would be tough, uh, but based on their starters. But to go up 7 nothing in an inning, uh, in the first inning, and to blow that to the eighth inning, when the Cubs have been so good in the eighth inning all year long in game one, and to give up, what, like 10 runs in the eighth inning on, on Monday? Um, it's just, just an extremely demoralizing way to lose those games. Even the other game where they gave up two hits, and they lost. Um, so it's tough. I mean, you got the schedule opens up a little bit. Milwaukee's still playing Pittsburgh right now, but you know, it's you're pretty much in a do or die situation in the next three weeks if you don't want this team to be broken up now. Yeah, that Milwaukee series was easily one of the worst series we've watched them play in the last couple of years. It, it, they, it, it's funny, they, they were blown out two of those games. And they were in both of those games. Game one, they lose 14 to four. That game was tied in the eighth inning. And game three, the less said about that game, the better. You know, Jeremy said to the both of us after they went up seven nothing, can Arietta hold a seven nothing lead? And I didn't want to say at the time that I was skeptical, but turns out that was the case. The answer to that question turned out to be not just no, but a, a resounding demoralizing, defeating, no, to to lose that series, to get swept in that series by that team, the way that they did. It's, it's embarrassing. You know, I had a real Colorado moment yesterday with that game where I took a little bit of time in the afternoon, wanted to go on a bit of a cruise, just get up into the mountains, kind of get out of the city, just, you know, go for a nice drive. We've had some interesting weather here in Denver over the last week. So 
when you get a lot of storms, you get rainbows and cool shadows. And it's interesting going from the mountains back into the city during stormy weather. Uh, so yesterday, heading up, Cubs are up 7 nothing. I'm like, look, this is perfect. It's top of the first inning. Everything's going fine. Lost service for about 45 minutes or so. Came back out. I see you two texting each other. First of all, I see a well dot, dot, dot from Randall. And I'm thinking, okay, this is either a good well or a bad well. And once that service kicked back in, I'm like, what the hell happened in the last 40 minutes to go from being up 7 nothing to trailing two innings later and really derailing what ended up being a sweep in Milwaukee? It was, it was definitely a bad well. Little Timmy fell down the well, and Lassie could not get him out. Well, lots to talk about. We'll talk a little bit more about those series. But again, I wanted to commend you both. Solo show, at least no Ronin last time. I thought you guys did a good job. I will say, though, I got a, a message from a fan, reached out and said I was so excited. New show is ready to go. Downloaded it, was ready to listen. I was so disappointed, Ronan. When your voice wasn't there, when you weren't there, it was just Randall and Jeremy. I, I wasn't interested. I turned it off. Yeah, so it I a, said you were a Ronan no show. I, I was a no show. I and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But I said, Mrs. Sanders, thank you so much for your continued support of me. And I promise I'll be back next time. But she said, you know, what she heard was okay, but it wasn't the same without me coming in. But you guys did a nice job. I thought it was fun. It was fun listening to Randall it. Randall seems very appreciating that story. He he really liked that one. Yeah, I'm giving you the two fingers that say that's a great story, Ronan, the universal sign. Well, Randall, I got another story for you here, and I think you will appreciate this. Um, look, Cubs are a mess right now. We're going to have a little bit of fun before we talk about how bad this Cubs team has been. Uh, the reason why I was not with us here last week, last minute, I had a very good opportunity. Couldn't pass up. I had an opportunity. I was uh, awarded tickets to the first full capacity show at Red Rocks post-pandemic. And I think that that's something you want to be there for. It's an iconic venue, beautiful place, good musician. I was looking forward to it. I got to say, the worst crowd I've ever been around at any concert in my entire life. It was absolutely horrible. And Jeremy, I know you're a big concert guy. Uh, you like to go to shows, big stadium shows, little club shows. Randall, I know you're not a big concert guy, but I can make a baseball comparison what the people around me were doing. You're at a ball game. Seventh inning, two on, two out, tie ball game or a one-run ball game, and the asshole in front of you has to st stand up at that moment in time in the middle of the at-bat to go to the bathroom or to get some food or to get a beer, completely blocking the view of everybody around him. It was that, basically, at this concert. People talking over the music, people not paying attention. I, had, I heard more people talking about their day at work then I could hear the musician on the stage. And it would just really pissed me off. That's something at a concert that if you want to grind my gears, talk over the artist. That'll, that'll really uh, upset me. The concert yeah, I, version of doing the wave, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have firsthand experience with that. Uh, I believe at a show, um, a, uh, I know uh, a, a Ryan Adams show. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember Ronan giving it to a couple guys that were talking in front of us and Ronan like, he said, Hey, you guys mind being quiet? <laughs> Well, yes. So that was at the Chicago theater about 10 years ago. And Jeremy, that's right. You were with me at that concert. We were in the lower deck about three rows from the back. So we had a cool view of the stage, but we weren't, you know, right up on it. And these guys behind us, I'll never forget it. They were talking about the sale they made at work that day, the meeting. And I gave them like three songs. So, and, that, and when I say I gave them three songs, that's me turning around every 10 seconds and shooting darts at them. 
Like, I'm not going to pick a fight with anybody. I'm not going to win a lot of fights. I'm a little dude. But I try to get the point to him. After the third song, like, I can't sit here all night and hear about your sales meeting. So at that point, you turn around. And what I actually said to the guy, Jeremy, you, you didn't quite have it right. I said, can you please shut up or go to the bar? Just go to the bar. And one of them flicked his drink at me, and they left it about the fifth song. So I got what I wanted. They left. They didn't want to be there. But I just think it's terribly disrespectful to go to a concert and one, talk over the musician, but two, just think about the people around you. Like maybe that, maybe that's the song that person wanted to hear. Maybe they flew across the country to go to a place like Red Rocks for a concert. You got to talk over it. I don't like that. And I don't like people doing the wave, which we saw at Wrigley in the last homestand. And Randall, I really don't like people who don't know when to stand up at a ball game. Like, please wait till the at-bat is over before you decide to block everybody's view. I just think it's very, very selfish behavior that unfortunately a lot of people display. Awareness can be in very short supply at, at ball games sometimes, and you, you know the we've discussed this plenty. The reasoning behind ballparks being at limited capacity earlier this season obviously is terrible, but the the end result of not necessarily having people directly in front of you or off to the side, there are worse ways to take in a ball game. But uh, that's by the wayside now because everything's reopened and everything's at. Uh, 100% capacity. But you know what? The bleachers at 25% capacity, that was a very comfortable night. I, I did not have to deal with any people I did not want to deal with. You know, Jeremy and I had a couple of those 60% games, and that was a real nice balance because you still had energy in the ballpark. You, you know, the crowd was loud, but those bathroom lines, I mean, in and out. And that's how I wanted to be at a ball game. Just like concerts, I go to concerts to listen to the band. I go to baseball games to watch baseball. Yeah, it's social and all that, but I, I want to see what's happening on the field. And that's something that is important to me. So be it a concert, be it a baseball game, people got to get their act together at public events. And um, I was sort of chuckling uh, at that show going, this is unbelievable how bad these people are and just disrespectful. So bummer, but fun night. Good to be back out at Red Rocks. Good to see Wrigley back at 100% capacity. And again, well done guys. Something that we've talked about is doing more frequent shows this summer, even if it means that not all three of us are available for it. So expect more of that. Randall, you and I are gonna get a show here in the not too distant future. Jeremy, you and I are gonna get a show without the Rand man. And I'm looking forward to that. You and I will get a little bit more freedom to talk about things without Randall scolding pep. us. Yeah. A little bit more energy, a little bit more pep without the, uh, you know, we get to talk about what we want to talk about. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about this terrible Cubs stretch because it has been a horrible stretch since the three of us were last on the air here. Um, as of recording here, the Brewers winners tonight against the Buccos. So the Cubs at 42 and 39, six and a half games out of first place, Randall. We're at the start of July. Trade deadline, 30 days away at this point. This is a bad place to be in for this Cubs team with so many expiring contracts, with major questions with this pitching rotation. Blink of an eye, the Cubs, Randall, they're six and a half games out of first place. And they may well have played themselves out of any major reinforcements because whatever the front office might have been willing to do as far as taking on money, as far as trading notable prospects when the Cubs were at their apex, that's probably by the wayside at this point. And I'm not saying the Cubs aren't going to add. I'm not saying they, saying they are going to sell everyone who's not bolted down. But you've probably played yourself out of any major upgrades at this point. And that's unfortunate because this team with 
one or two really key upgrades could have at least been very interesting throughout the rest of the season. And I think they've, I think they've played themselves out of that. You might have seen them go after uh, a decent starting pitcher, somebody who might be able to eat innings and do better than a lot of guys in the rotation right now, instead of taking on money, instead of giving up prospects, you might see them calling up Corey Abbott instead to make those starts. So I'm not saying they're not going to add, but I think a lot of those additions now are probably more apt to come from within. Maybe they stretch out Keegan Thompson. Maybe they try and stretch out Justin Steele coming off his rehab work. However different the team is going to look in the short term, if that's going to be a net positive, it's going to be much less of a net positive than they were poised to do a month ago. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I agree with you that they probably won't add in the short term. Um, you know, I, I think it just really depends on what, what happens with the next couple of weeks. I mean, the Cubs, they don't play a, a winning team, a team with a winning record until July 30th right now. And right now that's the uh, Nationals, who at the time were only one game up uh, over four, uh, 500. And so even if, if the Nationals, you know, lose a game or two, they would be until August 7th or when they play the White Sox. So the Cubs do have a chance to make a run here a little bit. Um, they're going to get the Rockies. They're going to get the Diamondbacks. They're going to get teams like the Pirates. They have to this weekend. I mean, the Reds are going to be a tough team, so they have to take it to the Reds, you know, and the Cardinals will still be around. They play the Cardinals, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see like in, if, cause it, you know, a week, a week ago, a week and a half ago, everything was tied in this division. It was Brewers and Cubs and a week and a half later, you're six out. Now I don't expect the Cubs to gain six games and, a week, but you know, if a week or two, it's a three game deficit, a two game deficit, then I think you start getting back into the conversation of, you know, can the Cubs add with this schedule with what's coming up, who they do. So I, I agree that I don't think, you know, we're not going to see like a trade for a starter today or within this next week, but I don't think, I think it all just really comes. I mean, you know, if the Cubs get swept by the Reds, who knows what the conversation is, you'll start talking about really selling, but, you know, like I said, if they're four, if they're three bad games back a week from now, you know, you start going right back into those conversations of when, you know, who's available and, and how, how can this, we make this team better before the deadline? Right. You know, they, they, they aren't on the brink right now, but they've they've played away just about any margin for error they've had. And, you know, there are reasons you could maybe be optimistic. June was an awful month for them. They went 12 and 16. Their run differential for the month is not particularly good. Uh, they scored 97 runs. They allowed 131 runs. We knew June was going to be a difficult stretch for them. We saw the schedule. We outlined it many times in the episodes that we did in May. You know, if they had come by that 12 and 16 a little differently, if they had lost a game that they that we might have expected them to lose but won some of the games we might have expected them to win we, we might not be so gloom and doom we might say look you survived a difficult month but the way that they've come about that record a, a, a six six game losing streak getting all near swept in la getting swept in milwaukee it, it makes it look that much worse and you know they're not going to be without uh, certain key players, hopefully for too much longer. And that played a big role in the skid they're in right now. But the point is that you've played away just about any buffer, any margin for error that you've had, if you want to compete in this division. You know, it, it's interesting too, because the feeling with this team in terms of the postseason is you win the division or you're out because the wild card is probably not coming from the national league central. I don't see the Cubs being able to hang in with the Dodgers or the Padres, or maybe even the giants, although they're scuffling a little bit with a couple losses now in a row, some good teams in the East as well. So the Cubs 
if they're going to make the postseason, it's going to have to come pretty much from winning this division. And now you're looking at a six and a half game hole here on July 1st. Uh, I wanted to ask, though, this is something that we speculated about a couple of weeks ago and we were hoping it wouldn't get to this. But after the start yesterday in Milwaukee, I think it needs to resurface. Jeremy, how can Jake Arrieta make another start for the Chicago Cubs? Will he? Yeah, I, I mean, I expect he will, but I, I, I'm totally on board. Like I, with Jake, I mean, he, I, to me, he's done. I don't know. I had no confidence in Jake uh, in that game, as Randall attested to me uh, texting out a little bit. When it was 5 nothing, I – I was like, okay, we got to add on because Jake's pitching. And then when it was seven, nothing, I was like, okay, I think this is out of range, but I'm not sure. Um, And then it was just awful. I mean, Randall was saying during the game, like, get him out of there. I I understood that. I just didn't know if the Cubs had the bullpen in the moment to cover seven, eight innings. So I understood why Ross kept him in because it's like you have to at least get to, you know, get a couple innings out. You got a seven run lead. Like you got to get some innings out of him, but it's just brutal right now. And it's been, he's had one start. I feel like against San Diego outside of that. I, you know, in the past month or so it's, he's been horrible. He's been absolutely horrible. And it's not, it'd be one thing. Like, I mean, he did have that game in San Francisco where he was just getting crushed, but like it's, now he, he can't even find the zone. I mean, he, he looks more probably like the Arietta from his Baltimore days. Like he can't find the zone. He's not challenging hitters. Really? He, he, he's all over the place. He has no command. I I wonder if his mechanics are just so out of whack because he he has that, you know, he throws across his body and it's just like, it's crazy to me that how poor he's been pitching. And I, to me, like, I mean, Trevor Williams is going to come back. If Trevor Williams comes back, it's Jake to me. I mean, I, I those pitched well enough. I feel like the last couple games that I feel like Arietta has got to be the man out in a situation. Randall, what, what, what do you do with Jake? Can he, can he play another game for the Cubs? Well, this is a situation where you're, you're kind of asking this about two different players. You're, are you, you know, we're asking this about, Jake Arietta, the man, the myth, the legend, the mountain who did legendary things with this team five, six years ago. And we're also asking about 2021 Jake Arietta and historic Jake Arietta. You know, it feels like you can't remove him from the rotation. You can't get him off the team. He's done too much. But I feel like we can't deal in that. We have to deal with the Jake Arietta that this team has right now. And that Jake Arietta, I don't know that you can in good conscience have him make another start. And I said on last week's episode that a guy with his, uh, his, the trust he's built up, the, the veteran cachet he's built up in the league with this team, with this, with David Ross as manager, with his coaching staff, with his teammates. I don't know that all of that will allow him to be removed from the rotation, but I think in any objective sense, he has to be, I don't know how you can necessarily have him make another start. And he said it himself yesterday that he simply didn't get the job done. And that's true. But I almost feel like that doesn't tell the whole story. He didn't just not get the job done. He could not get out of the the second inning, the third inning with a seven to nothing lead. And that's just, you know, one of the cardinal sins of a starting pitcher to not be able to eat at least some innings in a game like that. We talk about how a reliever coming in to a game with a big lead, the Cardinal sin is walking guys. If you've got a big lead, don't walk guys, make them at least hit their way on the base on base. 
if you are a starting pitcher who's been spotted a touchdown in the damn first inning, you need to be able to go three, four, five innings, even if you give up some runs in there. And Jake simply did not do that. And again, to his credit, he owned up to not doing that. He didn't shy away from it. But at the same time, when someone asked him, I believe it was uh, Megan Montemuro, the, tr- the beat reporter for the Tribune, she asks him, do you think your rotation spot is in jeopardy? And his response was kind of a nonchalant. I don't care to think about that. Ask David Ross about that. On one hand, I understand that he doesn't necessarily need to think about that. It's not his job to say, yeah, I don't belong in the rotation anymore. But at the same time, it does feel like he feels like he should be given a chance to pitch out of it. And, you know, again, maybe for everything Arietta has done, he feels like he should have a chance to pitch out of it. But objectively, I just don't know how you can give him that chance at this point. Well, this is exactly what I didn't want to see happen. And this is what we talked about back in February. It's like, I don't want Jake coming back. And the reason why is I like Jake Arrieta. I have fond memories of Jake. Uh, Jake in 2015, 2016, even 2014. Unbelievable what he achieved in his peak years. And we'll always celebrate him in Chicago. What I didn't want to see happen was him come back to the Cubs and be bad. And thinking about like what the Cubs needed from Jake Arrieta this year was someone to go out not be a Cy Young winner, not go out in eight, nine innings, give him five, six innings every start, give up a couple of runs, but at least get it to the bullpen. And you hope that Jed could put together a competent bullpen. Well, he has. There are plenty of arms in that Cubs bullpen. There's more guys in the farm to keep him coming. I'm not worried about the bullpen really at all over the next couple of years. The problem, though, is Jake isn't giving them those innings. He hasn't gone six innings since May 14th. He's allowed multiple runs in 10 of his last 11 starts. So he's not going deep into ball games. He's giving up runs. He's not doing what's asked of him, which is, hey, go five or six innings and keep us in the ball game. And if we win half of those, we'll probably be okay. He's not expected to be top of this rotation, but this is really bad. And um, at this point, I think you're better off for the current and for the future to just let those guys from Iowa give it a go, whether it's Stewart, whether it's Abbott, uh, Keegan Thompson in the starting rotation, even if he can only give you three or four innings right now, I would bet it's three or four better innings than Jake. And it sucks. I don't want to see the World Series hero run out of town, but he can't take another start for the Cubs right now. I think he needs an injured list stint or some time away because he, he's actively hurting the team at this point. And there's no room for error. And Ronan, to your point, David Ross was asked about that rotation spot, and I believe he uh, mentioned the possibility of using Keegan Thompson or Justin Steele, if not as traditional starters as openers, even maybe piggyback guys where they each give you three innings and then your six innings and you turn it over to your seven, eight, nine guys in the bullpen. So I, I, I do feel like they are aware that you can't really keep running Jake Arrieta out there. And I think they're trying to publicly tiptoe around it. And I understand that again, Jake Arrieta has earned at least the, the right to be dealt with face-to-face behind closed doors. So I understand why they're not necessarily taking him out of the rotation into the microphones right now. But again, we, we've, we've said it over and over in the last 10 minutes, you can't have him make another start, whether it's Corey Abbott, whether it's Trevor Williams, whether it's Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele in a piggyback start, you need to figure out something else for that next turn through the rotation. Well, that, that is interesting. Cause I had, I, I hadn't seen that. Cause I had seen uh Ross saying that uh, he didn't know who he would replace him with uh, when they was asked about after the game, Milwaukee, it's something along those lines of, you know, like, it's a conversation we have to have, but I, we don't have anybody to really replace him with. So what are the options? But uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really think, you know, I, I understand Jake 
probably has some stature in the clubhouse. But, you know, you look at the way he's pitching, that it's it's I, I, I think you just as you said, you just gotta go on the way he's pitching. I, I so I I hope that the Cubs don't really, you know, look into anything else other than that. And he's just been bad. Like even I mean, it's on him. The that you know, the the ball Taylor hit, they could have gotten out of that inning, what, seven three? he throws it away. I mean, I don't know if there's runner interference on that or not, but I mean, David Ross never checked on it, but uh, you know, that's a Jake Arietta air. It's just like, everything's tailing away for him. And and I realized it was a tough play. Um, honestly, he might've even been able to go home on that, but you know, the play is obviously at first, but uh, I just, I'm good with like what Jake Getter Arietta starts. I don't need to see another one. So if it, that yep. means an IL stint, if you don't want to DFA him or whatever, but like, I'm good. I'm good. Like Jake, I'm, I, I, everything you did was amazing for the Cubs, but I, I think we need to move on. Jeremy, the comments about uh, Steele and Thompson maybe being used as kind of bulk guys comes from a story from Russ Dorsey in the Chicago Sun-Times. The comments actually come from Tommy Hadovy, the pitching coach, and he mentions that if your goal is to get it to your your setup guys with the lead, there are different ways to do that. And I'm quoting here, you could have two guys throw three innings each and get to the seventh inning. And so it's he's kind of implying that Keegan Thompson and hopefully a healthy Justin Steele might be the guys. They aren't necessarily mentioned by name, but it, it definitely seems like, you know, when your pitching coach is talking about there are different ways to get the ball to the seventh inning, it definitely seems like they're exploring other options in the short term. Randall, I got to say too, you know, that's, that's two times now you are a uh, supporter of old school media in Chicago. You've propped the Tribune and the Sun Times now on this podcast and admittedly rough week for the Tribune right now. So nice to see you giving them some support. Well, you know, I have my issues with a lot of the reporters who have covered this team in the past and some of them who are covering the team right now. But I also like to highlight that there are a lot of great beat reporters doing a lot of great work covering this team right now. And so I try and follow them and I try and give them their props uh, where where appropriate. And it is appropriate quite a bit because, again, you have some very talented reporters covering this team on the beat right now. And I just like to point out that their names are Paul Sullivan, Gordon Wittenmeyer, and uh, David Kaplan. <laughs> Jeremy, you know me so well. Uh, it, look, it's been a bad road trip. We knew this was going to be a difficult road trip, and it's not over yet. Still three more games in Cincinnati. But I want to take a minute to highlight something that was fun. Hard to believe this was a week ago. How this whole mess started. A combined no-hitter, the first in Cubs history. Davies, the starter. Then the three-headed monster late, Tapera, Chafe, and Kimbrell combined for the no-hitter. They, the Chicago Cubs, the 2021 Chicago Cubs, no-hit the defending World Series champions at Chavez Ravine and a game started by Zach Davies. Jeremy, five years from now on Behind the Yellow Line, 250. That's going to be a trivia question. And how about that? Really was a cool night to see them pull it off at Chavez Ravine. Yeah, it definitely was. Unfortunately, I didn't actually get to see it. Uh, I was in Omaha at TD Ameritrade right. Park sitting in a rain delay waiting out for the Texas uh, University of Virginia baseball game that Texas eventually won. And I was, you know, sitting there with some family I actually gotten in earlier that day. We weren't sure if we would make it to that game, got in, got some tickets. And of course, we bought the tickets and the rain came. But uh, following along on the game tracker or it seen on the at bad app on my phone, you know, I, I, I saw, you know, the, the Javi homered in the first. And I'm like, all right. 
and then I'm, you know, everyone, I'm, I'm not really, I don't want to check it. I don't want, cause I'm trying to pay attention to the game I'm at, but every once in a while I'd look down my phone, I'd see, Oh, Zach Davies walked the guy or Zach Davies, whatever. And then, you know, it comes up and oh Wilson hits it. Uh, I think Wilson hit a two run Homer and then they have bases loaded, but they only get one run out of it. And I, I see all these things, but I've just felt like there was always traffic on the bases when the Cubs were up and you know, I, I now this game ended at 1 a.m. because I know what Ronan's about to say. And this, I just want to point out, I got to this ballpark at five o'clock and the game ended at 1 a.m. Good for you. Though. My phone died. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I'm just trying it out. I was there for a very long time, but my phone died at some point. Right. So I, I, I got to like the seventh day thing. I don't have a phone anymore. And my uncle's sitting there with my cousin. Also, both they live in Ohio, but they're both Cubs fans. Um, my uncle, you know, grew up in the Quad Cities, grew up a Cubs fan, not a Cardinals fan. Uh, and he passed on to his son. So they're, they're, they're Cubs fans. They're checking it. And they're, he's like, Zach Davies throwing a no-hitter with like in the sixth inning. And I'm like, that's amazing because it seems like he had five walks or whatever. And he's like, yeah, my uncle was actually annoyed that they pulled Davies out. And I'm like, he was laboring. They got to – so, you know, and it gets to the ninth inning. And I'm like, it's a 4 nothing game. And I'm like – I'm like, does Ross even does Ross care enough right now to use Craig Kimbrell in a four nothing game for this no hitter? And and he's like, oh, Kimbrell's coming out. And I'm like, there's no way if it wasn't a no hitter, Kimbrell's coming out in a four nothing game, right? So Kimbrell comes out, gets it, and like the first batter, he goes over to me, goes, he goes, he walked up. I'm like, of course. And somehow they pulled it off with a no hitter yeah. as I'm sitting in a TD Ameritrade Park with I think eight walks, and, and it's crazy. I went home, of course, watched all the highlights. I what charged my phone immediately, saw Randall's text being like, Kimbrell didn't even know they had a no hitter, and I'm like, what a great day. I mean, I'm, I'm mad I missed it, but it was pretty cool to follow along as it was going on. Yeah, Jeremy, that's one of the uh, enduring and kind of endearing storylines to come out of that game is that the three relievers who pitched, that being uh, Tapera, Chafin, and Kimbrell, to a man, they all said they had absolutely no idea that there was a no-hitter going. And Chafin said that from their vantage point in the visiting bullpen, they could not see the home hits number on the scoreboard. But And uh, to what you said, where there was just so much traffic on the bases, that's what they all said, that there were so many base runners for the Dodgers that they, they just assumed somebody had gotten a hit somewhere in there, but it it was a unique game to watch. You know, Davies, of course, like you said, he was laboring. He he wasn't going to pitch nine innings uh, at any rate in any version of events because the pitch count was just too high. So, you know, he gets pulled with a no hitter going and you're like, you know, am I, do I, how much do we care about this? it's going to be a combined no hitter if they pull it out, but it was, it was fun. And, you know, it was good to see uh, Javi and it was good to see Wilson uh, both hit home runs off a pretty good pitcher in Walker Bueller. And it was, it was just a unique experience because if they had lost that no hitter, you wouldn't have felt bad for any one guy. You know, if a guy's pitched into the eighth inning and hasn't given up a hit and then he gives up a, a single, you, you feel bad for him because he did all that work and got so far, but a combined, you don't feel that, but it was, it was interesting. And uh, when Kimbrell came in, he walked the first batter in a, a pretty not competitive at bat. And I was a little worried that he was going to find some difficulty without certain substances because that was his first appearance since the the crackdown on the the substance checks. But then, of course, he he strikes out the side on three nasty, ridiculous strikeouts and they they pull off a combined no hitter. And that was the last time anybody enjoyed watching Cubs baseball, which is fitting. (laughs) It's been real bad. They enjoyed the first inning of uh, the game yesterday. Yesterday. 
It's been bad though. It's it's been a really bad stretch, but it was fun. It was fun to see the Cubs do that at a historic ballpark. They had flashbacks of Jake a couple of years ago getting the no hitter there. Um, so it's pretty interesting in this dominant run of Dodgers baseball, and they've been a very very good team for the last decade. Cubs have some signature wins and iconic moments at that ballpark. I think that's something to celebrate. It is a that's- historic moment, Randall. That counts. Oh yeah, that is a historic moment. It, it is third a oldest ballpark moment. in 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 baseball professional. Cubs, the Cubs have thrown the last two no hitters at both Dodger Stadium and Miller American Family Ballpark Stadium of the Greater Milwaukee. Well, they area. definitely didn't throw any no hitters this past uh, week. No, no, they did not. They American yeah, they, they threw a bunch of no shitters, but no no hitters. Oof, Randall coming out hot. Uh, but just to go when when are we ever going to see? And I know Randall got to see one. But it would be nice at some point if we ever see a no hitter at Wrigley Field. Yeah, it would and be nice from to the see, Cubs. It would be nice to see the Cubs throw a no hitter as opposed to getting no hit at Wrigley. I don't know that they have anyone on the staff right now who is well suited to that. Hendricks is the first guy who comes to mind, but he, of course, when he's on, is such a contact oriented guy that you know he you feel like he's more apt to give up a soft single to somebody that doesn't affect the game. Randall, they got three guys on the staff right now in the rotation who've thrown a no hitter. They do. And how's that working out for them? I don't know, but I'm just saying they got guys who have thrown no hitters. So maybe there's guys that one hit like a week ago. Well, I, I know we want to talk some injuries because that's been a big problem for the Cubs right now. Before that, though, uh, Jeremy, I, without moving on totally. College World Series, it's something you've been going to for a long time. I mean, I got memories years ago of you coming back and saying, Ronan, Buster Posey, he's going to be something. This guy's awesome. It was one of those players that made an impact on you. You've been going there for many, many years. Was there a player that caught your eye this time that you're like, man, that guy was pretty cool? And and then beyond that, just how was the experience post-pandemic? It's looked really cool on TV. What was it like in person there in Omaha? Uh, yeah, the post pandemic experience was something. Let me just tell you the Mississippi state fans. They won't just won. They are fired up. I actually stayed in the Mississippi state team hotel. Cool. And coming back on Saturday, I, Sunday night, I didn't, uh, Saturday night, excuse me. I didn't go to the game on Saturday night. We went to dinner with my family, uh, and Mississippi state after what Clint winning that game, clinching their spot into the, uh, championship round, the champ, the finals, the team hotel was absolutely insane and and it was crazy it was nuts i mean it, it was in the parking garage I, I i can hear go dogs in my sleep um <laughs> it was crazy and i understand why the team did not come back through the lobby the baseball team uh after what happened with north carolina state i'm not too convinced there was much vaccination going on in those in that lobby uh you know not literally obviously but people that were vaccinated from the state of Mississippi. But let me just point out from Mississippi state, you know, Will Bednar, I, I thought I didn't actually get to see him pitch, um, but I did, you know, was around and see him and the college World series. And he had an amazing college World series. He was the most outstanding player. He was dominant against Vanderbilt. He was dominant against Texas. The couple guys I did get to see elite talents pitch uh, Ty Madden at the university of Texas, who will probably be a first round draft pick top 15 pick. He got lit up a little bit early on from Mississippi State, struggled a little bit. I saw Kumar Rocker pitch, but he struck out 11, but it didn't really – it always kind of felt – you know, they didn't really put North Carolina State away. And there was a North Carolina State team that just had a bunch of COVID issues. They were playing with, like, nine guys, 13 guys, I think. They had a pitcher 
playing in the field and he went three for three and then got picked off of first base in the most embarrassing fashion ever. But, uh, you know, there's some guys out there. Obviously, Jack Leiter was a stud, some, a couple other guys. But Will Bednar, the brother of Pirates pitcher David Bednar, who was absolutely dominant when I saw him pitch against the Cubs on opening day this year in the freezing cold weather, that was a guy who was a stud, and that's a name I will definitely be on the lookout for in the future. It was cool, though. It looked great on TV. Uh, those Mississippi State fans – it was a sea of maroon. I think that's their Insane. color. It looked Absolutely. really cool oh, on TV. They tell yeah. you what their colors are. Oh, they yeah. Tell you <laughs> because you get that maroon white chant just nonstop. So you you know what the colors are of Mississippi State. It was neat, too, that that was the first NCAA championship for a team in Mississippi State history. They've had some individual winners, but that was the first time any of their teams won a national championship. So to do that, especially after losing game one, that's pretty cool to pull that off. And and just to point out, the Mississippi State is a is a traditionally a very strong baseball program, has had very strong players. So it's kind of crazy that they never had one. Uh, it's the home of former Cub Rafael Palmero. Oh and uh, former Cub destroyer Will Clark, who were teammates at Mississippi State and apparently detested each other when they were teammates in the 80s. A lot of guys went there. Jonathan Papelbon, Randall's favorite, Brandon Woodruff, who just pitched against us. Uh, so Mississippi State, a very strong baseball. So it's been the many college world series. So it's pretty insane that they had never won one. And so it's kind of cool to see them win one, even though they their fans were a little, little too crazy, a little too uh, sometimes stepped over the line a little bit in ways that they shouldn't have. Last question. Did you hang out with a Ricketts while you were in Nebraska? I did not get to see any Ricketts. However, I will, I'll point this out. I did. I did hang out in a home that Joe Ricketts bid on and did not win. In which poached from Joe poached from Joe Ricketts is my, my, <laughs> one of my, one of my, my grand. So my grandmother is from council blossoms outside of, Omaha in Iowa and her cousin lives in Omaha and he's a dentist and he was actually a Ricketts family dentist. The one time I got to meet Dom Ricketts, my dad asked him, he said, Hey, you know, this guy, and he goes, Oh, that's my family dentist growing up. Uh, my, I think my mother still goes to him and he likes to brag that sometime probably in the seventies or whatever, he put it in a bid on a house. Joe Ricketts put a bid on the same house before Joe Ricketts became TD Ameritrade billionaire. And he won out and he's like, I bought this house right from under Joe Ricketts. So I was in that house. That's a win. That's a win, yeah. but very cool. I know it's been a, a long time tradition for you to get out to Omaha. Omaha is a neat city. I think I've been around the ballpark. They've done an amazing job in that area. Beautiful facility. There's bars and restaurants and hotels. You just get the sense like there are certain cities in the United States that are great for certain events. And another example I can think of uh, Indianapolis, wonderful host for some of the big 10 tournaments, men's basketball, uh, Indy 500 gets a rave. I've never been to it, but it's something that people just say you got to experience. I think the College World Series in Omaha, that's on the bucket list. I want to get out there sometime and see I would, it. And... I would say any baseball fan, if yeah. they just like baseball, if you like baseball, you like an event, Omaha is a fantastic for that week. It's a fantastic event for any person to go to. And for that's those of you who like to road trip, if you're ever out west like me here in Denver, there is absolutely nothing between Denver and Omaha. It is terrible. It's a horrible drive. And I'm thinking like, okay, I'm out of Colorado. I'm in Nebraska. I'll be at Omaha very soon. Nebraska is a very, very, very wide state, and there's nothing going on in most of it. Most and they of hate it. Colorado so, plates because they bring oh, all they that, hate us. They bring all they that marijuana us. weed across the border. 
um, uh, Governor Pete does not like marijuana. He, he's been quoted this year in 2021 as saying, if you legalize pot, it's going to kill our kids. So they don't like our, our plates. They want our money. They want it to be in the car so they can get money from us for it. But uh, very, very weird place. But Omaha is cool. It's a nice city, and it's nice you had that experience, Jeremy. Um, coming back to the Cubs, though, here, uh, injuries. It's been horrible all season long people on the injured list. The Cubs are on their fifth or sixth catcher at this point. Um, Randall, in a moment here, I'm going to ask you to kind of give us the rundown on the latest with everybody, but I wanted to start with the two most important people. Anthony Rizzo at first base. The back has been a recurring problem. Chris Bryant out with side soreness, missed the last two games in Milwaukee. Uh, Jeremy, I'll start with you on this one. Anthony Rizzo, going to be a free agent. It seems like talks have stalled with the Cubs or even broken off at this point. This bad back is a problem for him. This is going to hurt him in free agency. And I'm left here wondering what's going on with Anthony Rizzo. Can, is he even going to get to a hundred games in a season like this? I mean, definitely I'll heard of going on. Cause you know, he's what 31 years old going to turn 32. He's uh, a bigger first baseman, old man skills. He's got a bad back where it seems, you know, every couple series he has to sit out for two or three games you know every few weeks so at least so you know that's definitely going to be a factor in his his contract talks that you know at some point that back he's, you're gonna have to deal with that but uh you know I, I was a little disappointed honestly if because we didn't know about chris really until he had to sit out um so i was thinking if chris was feeling sore i would rather have chris had sat out games against the dodgers then against the Brewers, like I, you know, cause they said he had kind of felt sore after uh, I think a play against the Dodgers. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, if he's going to feel that sore, send him out that Rizzo apparently came out of nowhere. He was feeling good and in the back, you know, and, but that wasn't a game that was what, like a six, nothing game in the in a six, one game in the, in the seventh. It's like, at some point, like I thought that was more precautionary and then he misses, you know, four straight games or whatever. So, like, a couple of these situations, I feel like, you know, we could have rested some guys in some spots where we're not playing a series. Like, that's the one thing I feel like gets overlooked in this series a little bit is we just played this three-game series against the Brewers without Rizzo or Bryant pretty much in all three games. I mean, Bryant might have played in game one, but uh, we're missing – basically missing those guys, and that's a huge impact on the team. It's like – your bench is so short now everybody's you know complaining about Rafael Ortega taking key at bats or Eric Sogar taking key at bats but like right now the way you have no bench like obviously Rafael Ortega is the only guy you could send up there right now uh you know you're waiting for Horner and Bodie to come back but even with Rizzo and Bryant like that's a huge uh you know basically uh penalty or, or obstacle the Cubs would have to overcome in those situations so it would have made sense to me more so the games against the Brewers are more important than the games against the Dodgers. If they could have found a way to rest them more in that series. Jeremy, what I believe happened with Brian is he made a diving or tried to make a diving play in the outfield in LA. And I think that tweaked some things and then playing first base in game one of the Brewers series, he was laying out for some ground balls and that I think made it even worse. And that's what ended him up on the bench before we get into the, the, the rundown of the injuries, long and labyrinthine that it is. Part of the problem is that this team is in the middle of a 40-man crunch right now. You have nobody positionally on the 40-man roster you can bring up to replace an injured infielder, even an injured outfielder, and that leaves you playing 
one, two, three guys short on the bench night in and night out. And it feels very much to me like this weekend uh, they are waiting for Horner to come back potentially to put one of Rizzo or Bryant on the injured list just because there's nobody else on the 40-man roster that you can call up. And to add somebody from Iowa to fill a positional spot, you potentially have to lose uh, a, a fringe arm that you would prefer to keep on the 40-man. And part of what's hurting them is that you have Miguel Amaya on the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Even though he's not going to factor into the major league plans, he's injured right now in the minor leagues. That's another 40-man spot that could be used to bring up a useful bench player, and they simply can't do that. So the 40-man the roster management has been a big part of them suffering through these injuries is that they can't really make injury replacements because there's nobody on the 40 man roster to replace with. And you, you don't want to lose anybody else to waivers theoretically by taking them off the 40 man roster. So it's been tough uh, on the major league roster and it's been tough finding reinforcements to try and fill those roster spots. Definitely, definitely been tough. I mean, we're, we're, I think you said fifth backup catcher. I mean, that's ridiculous. You had Austin Romine who I thought was good signing. He went down. Uh, you know, PJ Higgins has, uh, yeah, arm injury, I guess. Uh, they originally reported Tommy John surgery, but then they later said that was not the case. And I, I don't quite remember what it actually is. Uh, Tony Walters got the DFA, but he's back in Iowa, apparently hitting pretty well. Jose Lobaton, you know, Lobaton just in a crazy collision the other day um, at the end of that game where, you know, he's trying to beat it out. Uh, Josh Hader, of course, it's Lobaton that goes down with like a, cringing with the shoulder and hater gets up immediately right um feeling nothing but uh, not that i'm rooting for an injury or anything i'm just pointing it out uh but you know it's just absolutely insane the way the cubs backup catcher situation has been and it's probably put more pressure on wilson than need be because you would think that wilson probably would have gotten more days off or not as catching as many games but like with the way that the, the catchers have been up and down and the different guys that will, they probably have put more pressure on Wilson um, to play. And that's unfortunate. And so we'll see, we'll see how Taylor uh, Gushu is it. Uh, we'll see. I, you know, he made his major league debut uh, yesterday. So uh, we'll see if he can provide any sort of stability. It would be hopeful that if he can helpful. Yeah, you know, many years from now, I'm sure, as Ronan said, when we're doing Behind the Yellow Line, episode number 250, one of, someone, one of us is going to come up with a trivia question, name all of the backup catchers on the 2021 Chicago Cubs. As we've said, they are on their fifth backup catcher already. He started the season with Tony Wolters after uh, Austin Romine uh, started the season with an injury. So Romine, Wolters, Higgins, you can Higgins. say it, Ronan. Higgins! There we go. Romine, Walters, Higgins, Lobaton, and now Gushu. And uh, this is a great stat, again, from another great reporter, Jordan Bastian, who covers the Cubs for MLB.com. Going into play Wednesday, Cubs backup catchers were hitting 075, on base at 184, slugging 090, 0 0.090. It's been a pitcher. They've been basically playing a pitcher offensively at the backup Worse. catcher position. Worse than a pitcher. That's right. There are pitchers who do better than that. They've basically been batting a pitcher or worse in that backup catcher position. And this is where it really hurts 
that they basically bid against themselves and gave away Victor Caratini in the Darvish trade, because not only was Caratini a reliable offensive backup catcher, he wasn't great. He struggled to OPS 700 a lot of the time, but he, he had an idea of what he was doing up there and even struggling to OPS 700 would be a market improvement over what they've been starting. And Caratini was a reliable backup first baseman, uh, with Rizzo having missed time twice now this season due to the back issue. So that's two ways, you, you know, you don't think about how trading your backup catcher is going to affect the team, but then a lot of things go wrong and this is where you're stuck. And it's, it's been difficult to watch and you hope that Contreras doesn't burn out, which he's, he, you know, he hasn't been having a great offensive season. He's been obviously better than, you know, their backups, not like you're going to replace him with anyone, but again, that's going to factor into him too. He's leading in innings caught by a catcher by a pretty wide margin and that's going to take its toll. And we know how physical Wilson is in the role. We know how much energy he brings. We know how many foul balls he takes off the hand, the finger, the shoulder over the course of a night, that's going to add up after a while. And we've seen plenty of times catchers breaking down in the second half of the season, just because there's no reliable way to get them rest without actively hurting the lineup. You know, the other thing about Caratini, too, is he would spell Rizzo at first to get a little bit more help there at first base with all the time off that Anthony's had. It hasn't been a great year for Victor Caratini. His offense is down a little bit, but keep in mind he's in San Diego. It's not an easy park uh, for a hitter to be in. And you've got some tough ballparks also in the division there. You can think about Colorado, which is the opposite of it, but it's tough to hit at Dodger Stadium at night. It's tough to hit in San Francisco, and he's playing a lot of road games there. Six home runs this year for Caratini, his OPS around 670, so down a little bit from where you want it to be, but still it would be a huge step up and a very, very important piece missing from this year's team. And, and it's frustrating because he felt like just a throw-in on the Darvish deal. I don't know that he got any extra talent back. It was just sort of, Oh yeah, take him as well. And the fact that Tom Ricketts had biblical losses that he couldn't deal with for a year has resulted in, in really costing the Cubs a division possibly at this point. Well, I, I, I did like the Austin Romine signing. I thought that was a good uh, spot. And it's unfortunate that Austin Romine got hurt in the way he did that. We're now on this situation with Caratini. Yeah. I think, you know, you know, they want to use personal catcher. And I, I think the Cubs still probably did think that there were, you know, replacements out there for Victor and Romine being one of them. And it just didn't work out in the way it worked out. One thing I do think is interesting is that Ross, every time like somebody gets promoted for this catcher spot, Ross always like uh, points out, he's like, Oh, I like his versatility. Like Taylor Gushu, he could play first base or, you know, I think he said something similar about PJ Higgins. And I'm like, Tony Walters is playing the middle infield. He's been a second baseman. He's been a shortstop. He's been a third baseman. Not that I'm c calling for Tony Walters to, to come back up, but Tony Walters is like the most versatile probably catcher that they have in the system. Uh, and, and yet he's complimenting like everybody else's versatility except for Walters. So it makes me think that Walters isn't coming back anytime soon. It's been a mess, though, behind the plate. Um, good news, though, Randall, is some guys are close to coming back, and that's something the Cubs really need at this point. Absolutely. Nico Horner has been rehabbing with the Iowa Cubs all week. He actually made his rehab debut with them uh, last Sunday, and something that speaks to Nico's uh, A, uh, desire to get back to the Major League roster, and B, just his, his desire to be a team player. He was given the option 
of not starting that rehab assignment until this past Tuesday when the Iowa Cubs traveled to Indianapolis. But Nico made a point of reporting to Iowa uh, starting Sunday so he could get an extra game of work in. And while I don't have his exact stats during this rehab stint in front of me, he has played, I believe, every game, even if shortened stints in this rehab. So it seems like he is healthy. It seems like he is ready to get back into the, the game. And I, honestly, as long as he's physically healthy, as long as the leg's not bothering him, as long as the hamstring is an issue, you need to get him up here, even if he's still figuring it out, uh, getting his timing back, which is fine because he's missed four, five, six weeks at this point. Even if he's going to be figuring it out, I will take a figuring it out again, Nico Horner, against some of the other middle infield options on this team right now. And again, it feels very much like they are waiting for Nico to come off the IL and then put one of Rizzo or Bryant on the IL just because there's no other moves to be made on that 40 man. Elsewhere, Trevor Williams and Justin Steele have also been rehabbing at Iowa, and it sounds like that's going well. There haven't been any reports of soreness aside from the usual after these outings. Um, again, Williams just by virtue of the fact that he's not your worst option, they're going to need him back sooner versus later. And it'll help to get Justin Steele back in that bullpen because he was a key part of that bullpen being uh, as, as good as it was in May. And hopefully I'm hoping David Ross has learned his lesson about having pitchers run the bases. Justin Steele, of course, went on the IL after hurting his hamstring, running the bases. Hopefully Ross has learned his lesson at this point. Well, well I, I appreciate Go ahead. I was just going to ask. I, I thought I read somewhere that Rizzo uh, was hoping to be back by this series this weekend. He, and he probably is. And, you know, Rizzo's back thing has been three or four days sometimes, and sometimes it's been a week and a half. So, he, you know, it's always a day-to-day -day thing with him. He, I remember on Wednesday they said he woke up feeling a lot better, but he still wasn't well enough to play. And that seems like that's how it goes a lot of the time is three or four days in, he's feeling better, but he's still not well enough to play. And, you know, that's the decision they have to make is, are you better off keeping uh, a Rizzo you can't use on the bench, but potentially not losing him for the full 10 days? Or are you better putting him on the IL for 10 days saying heal up, there's no rush and bringing somebody up and not playing a man short. And that's the thing with Rizzo's back is it almost always falls right in the middle of those two. And you have to make that decision. Well, something I want to talk about more so next time, um, but it kind of ties into all these injuries is, so what do you do with Anthony Rizzo? What do you do with Chris Bryant? We know they've got expiring contracts. The Cubs, six and a half games out of first place now here on July 1st. But I do want to save that conversation more for, let's see what happens here going in towards the All-Star break. This 10-game road trip continues. Three games this weekend in Cincinnati. Then the Cubs come home, four with the Phillies, three with the Cardinals. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Reds game this weekend. Final three games of the road trip, the Cubs with a much-needed day off today. This weekend, they find a Reds team, which has played pretty good baseball over the last month. They're at 39-40. and 40 and a tie ball game right now with the Padres. So a chance that they'll be 500 by the time these teams meet tomorrow. Cubs are going to have Alec Mills, Adbert on Saturday, and then Kyle Hendricks on Sunday. It's been a disastrous road trip, Randall. You're looking for, you need at least one this weekend in Cincinnati, but two would really bring you home, I think, feeling okay. Like, hey, it's not the end of the world right now, although we got to start winning at home. Absolutely. As Jeremy made the point earlier, if they get swept this weekend in Cincinnati, I think all bets are off as far as what the team's going to look like in another two or three weeks, even only winning one this weekend in Cincinnati, probably not going to do it. You need to either win the series or sweep to get any kind of good feeling out of this road trip. And I believe with the 
the proximity to Chicago and the off day. I think the Cubs were able to come home Wednesday night and spend a night in their own beds, which hopefully helped. And hopefully the day without baseball helped. You need to get something going in Cincinnati this weekend. Otherwise, I think the season may well be lost. Yes, you're totally right. And that's totally fair. The next month is a favorable schedule for the Cubs. I know it feels like doom and gloom right now. Six and a half back, horrible game yesterday. There's still plenty of time for this Cubs team. You know, even if you're looking at picking up three games this month, get it down to three games going into August 1st. It's far more manageable. This Brewers team has flaws as well. They're not going to continue to just play dominant baseball. They've won nine in a row. There's losing streaks in their future as well. But you're right, Randall. You got to win the series this weekend, come home, and then get hot going into the All-Star break and maybe reevaluate here in about 10 days or so. Um, something that we, you guys introduced last time, want to continue it uh, really moving forward is us identifying or picking some type of storyline with an opponent the Cubs are playing. It could be a player who's doing well. It could be a player who's doing poorly. It could be some cool stat or fact that you pull up on the history between the Cubs and the Reds. Whatever the case may be, we all brought one thing we wanted to talk about to the discussion tonight. And um, Randall, I want you to go first because it's the starting pitcher that we're going to see Friday night, tomorrow night in Cincinnati. Who did you identify as the Red that you wanted to talk about I'll go next, and then Jeremy will bring us home. Ronan, Sonny Gray, the right-handed starting pitcher for the Reds, he caught my eye going into the series. He has been on the IL with a groin injury. He last pitched for the Major League Club on June 8th. Uh, he made one rehab start for, of course, the AAA Louisville Bats, which is a great minor league team name, by the way, uh, last weekend. He pitched only three innings. He threw only uh, 53 pitches. He's going to come off the IL and make the start against Edward Alzali tomorrow night. That would be an opportunity to maybe make some hay there. You've got a guy who's not really stretched out. You know, he made a short rehab start. He otherwise, I don't believe pitched in a competitive game uh, after going on the IL before making that rehab start. Hopefully the Cubs can get to him, get the pitch count up, knock him out of that game early and do a little bit of good work against him. So that's my red to look out for in this series. Keep an eye on Sonny Gray tomorrow coming off the IL after about a three week layoff. He only made 53 pitches in a rehab start, only pitched three innings. See if you can get that pitch count up. See if you can get him out of the game. See if you can do some good work against him. All right. Good stuff, Randall. And an interesting pick there. We'll see what happens tomorrow night at a ballpark that's known for a ton of offense. Uh, Jeremy's picks are about a couple of offensive stars. We'll let him get to that in a minute. But the player that I wanted to highlight, it's actually been a disaster really for the Cincinnati Reds. And this is a guy that a lot of people, myself included, wanted to be on the Chicago Cubs a year ago. And I'm talking about the import from Japan, Shogo Akiyama. One of the uh, really sought after free agents last year, he ended up signing a three-year, $21 million contract, so about $7 million a year to go to Cincinnati. Um, this was a guy that I thought would be a great fit for the Cubs, a team that has had difficulty in center field, have had difficulty establishing a leadoff hitter since Dexter Fowler's left the team. Um, but it's been a disaster for Shogo and his time in Cincinnati. Last year, his age 32 season, this was, of course, the shortened season with the pandemic, had a 0.5 war season, hit 245, nice on base percentage at 357, no power though, just 297 slugging. This is a guy who had multiple 20 home run seasons in Japan. The power just hasn't translated here to Major League Baseball. This year, it's been even worse. 
hasn't been playing regularly, just made a handful of starts here in the month of June. His war right now, minus 0.2. He is hitting 224, a 280 on base percentage. No home runs at this point. Jeremy, two off seasons ago, you and I were at very different ends of the spectrum here when it came to Shogo. I was saying this could be a great fit for the Cubs. He's got power. He can get on base. I, let's get him in there. We need to center fielder. You were saying, I don't know about this guy. He's 32 years old. I don't know what's going to, I don't think it's going to translate too well. Really hasn't worked out for Shogo here in the majors. And it looks like the Cubs avoided a bad contract with this one. Yeah. I, yeah. I was not necessarily opposed to bringing Shogo in. I was just when he got what I thought was a, pretty big contract for him three years 21 million I thought that was a pretty big number and then there was a lot of you know stuff going around about you know the Cubs being cheap and all this other stuff there was also that type of stuff going around when the Cubs wouldn't spend five million dollars on Eric Sogard um at the time so you know and I was just like you know I I didn't think that that number I thought that number was too big for Shogo like when I'm when I complain about the Cubs spending it's because I feel like you know, I, I don't want the team just to spend, just to spend, just to spend, just to prove we're spending. That's why we're bringing in certain guys. It's like, to me, I want them to bring in, like, to make good deals. So for Shogo, I, I, I thought his contact skills would be, you know, solid. I didn't think he'd have much power, but I don't think I thought that his power would be as down as it is now. I, I don't think I saw him being this terrible. But, uh, yeah, it hasn't been a great deal for the Reds, and they've barely – they've kind of hit him on the bench a little bit. They haven't really played him. Now, $21 million isn't break-the-bank type money, so you can kind of put that away, eat it a little bit. But, you know, Shogo, he, he's he been one of those guys that, you know, I, I kind of thought Nick Madrigal would be this type of guy, but uh, but Madrigal has really shown a, a bit before he got hurt where he's just – he hits the ball. You can't really make a lot of contact if – but not – hit the ball hard. Like if you're just making weak contact, all you're either doing is hitting pitchers pitches, number one, or you're just kind of hitting into outs, like making contacts great. But if you're not putting any, like you can't hit any powerful, you're just going to hit into outs all the time. So all you're doing is just hitting into more outs. So, and Shogo just kind of ended up being that type of guy. Did you feel Randall? Was this a guy? I don't remember where you were on it. Was this someone you wanted on the North side? Absolutely. I was all in favor of signing Shogo Akiyama coming out of uh, NPB uh, an off season ago. It felt like he was everything the Cubs needed a contact hitter with some power, a good defensive outfielder. I know there was some uh, skepticism around him. He was coming off a, I believe a foot injury at the time. Uh, and, you know, there's always questions about how players from Nippon professional baseball are going to translate offensively and as pitchers. Uh, I was all for it, though. It seemed like the skill set and the position was what they needed. And so far, as you said, it has not turned out that way. So, you know, you never want to applaud a team for not going out and spending money. But sometimes it's OK to have not signed a guy in retrospect. But that's, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So looking at key reds here, Randall started us off with Sonny Gray, the starting pitcher Friday night for Cincinnati. I'm lamenting uh, kind of the lost cause that's been Shogo in the majors. It just really hasn't worked out. Jeremy, what do you have for us? What what do the Cubs need to look out for this weekend with Cincinnati? Well, to keep the theme going a little bit with your guys, we could talk about another guy that the uh, Cubs didn't really make much of an offer for, I guess, when he was they had a chance, you know, maybe bring him back or stuff. But I'm looking at the the – Reds offense a little bit. And last time they came to Cincinnati, I had two guys that I really 
you know, keyed in on, and they would be Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, who have just been crushing the ball, have been great, have actually been kind of, they're very similar guys because they hit the ball hard and they are terrible in the outfield. But uh, those are two guys, like pretty much you have to keep those two guys at bay. You can't let those guys beat you. Now, on the other end, uh, Joey Votto is coming back, and he's another guy who seems seemingly this season now a little bit more limited sample side, but he's been hitting the ball hard too. So you could probably add a third guy into that category. But to me, Jesse Winker, uh, Nick Castellanos, they're, they're, they're two of the highest hard hit rates in baseball. Jesse Winker's hitting his hard hit rate is over 50%. I mean, that has to be towards the top, like more than half the time he's hitting a ball over or that he's putting a ball play over 95, 95 miles per hour. So he is just smoking the ball nonstop. Um, they have, kind of higher launch angles and in that ballpark, you know, the ball's going to fly. So really you want to get through that top of the order. You want to get through a winker who's been leading off. You want to get through Cassiano's bad time, top of the order. Votto, you can put up there. I mean, we all know how Suarez has been against the Cubs. seems like he only kills the Cubs now, not as much as other teams, but if you can get through that top of the order, the bottom of the order is not, not that great. So it's really just focusing on to me on those two guys. The pitchers are really, going to have to focus on them and we'll see you know if they i'm afraid that we'll see them pitch around those guys be afraid to challenge them and we'll get into some trouble on the base pass with walks jeremy you made a great point about uh hard hit rate and launch angle we saw it with the cubs and obviously uh considerable body of work with the tigers prior to that nick castellanos has great power the other way he has great power to right and right center and with the short wall in right and right center at the great American ballpark. If you can hit the ball high enough and you can hit it, hit the ball hard enough and hit it just high enough, you can come up with a lot of slugging in that ballpark. And a lot of the home runs he's hit in Cincinnati have been just like that. The other way to right and right center, just over the wall, but screaming line drives that get out in a hurry. That ballpark is very well suited for him and he's made very good use of it this year. And the Reds, uh, as we speak here, walk off the Padres. Two in the ninth for the Reds off Mark Melanson. It's a 5-4 win. So Cincinnati going to be 500 tomorrow night at 40-40, and 40, right on the Cubs' heels in the National League Central, just a game and a half now behind the Chicago Cubs. So a big weekend in Cincinnati. Uh, Randall, when I think about the weather, July in Cincinnati, the first thing that comes to mind to me is humidity. What can we look forward to this weekend weather-wise in uh, – Let's see, the, the Queen City, I think, is what they called Cincinnati. Well, it is everyone's favorite segment on the show, Cubs Weather with Cubs Weather, provided to us, as always, by Alexander Hall on Twitter, at Alexander Hall. It's all very easy to remember. He describes the series vibe for the series in Cincinnati as easygoing Midwest summertime vibes. That's also how people describe me, easygoing Midwest summertime vibes. You take the days with the 70s, but you always know warmer temperatures are just around the corner. Uh, so there's going to be two really nice days in Cincinnati, and then it's going to warm up a little bit just in time for the 4th of July. Uh, the Friday night game with a 6:10 central time start, Alexander describes it as near dazzling conditions, partly cloudy temperatures in the low seventies, falling to the upper sixties, comfortable humidity. So Cincinnati throwing you a little bit of a curveball here, Ronan with a wind out to right field at five to 10 miles per hour. 
Uh, Saturday, a day game, a 310 start. It'll be mostly sunny. Temperatures in the upper 70s, winds out to center field, 5 to 10 miles per hour. And then on Sunday, we'll get a little more of that traditional Cincinnati summer weather. It'll be much warmer. It'll be considerably more humid. It'll be partly cloudy. Temperatures in the upper 80s to low 90s. Uh, wind will be calm or light out to center field, uh, right around or under 5 miles per hour. When the Cubs come home against Philadelphia, the series vibe is described as a sunny and hot 90 degree holiday on the, the 5th of July, because that's our floating holiday this year. Uh, the warmth will continue on that Monday and then it'll cool down and we'll get a little chance for rain in the middle of the week. All of the games in this series are 7.05 start times at Wrigley Field Central Time. Monday night, it'll be partly cloudy. Temperatures in the mid-80s with a wind out to center field at 5 to 15 miles per hour. So with warm and humid, the ball could be carrying pretty well out to center field. Tuesday, it'll be partly cloudy. Temperatures right around 80. A slight chance of showers and storms. Winds will be light and variable, occasionally in from right field coming off the lake. On Wednesday, temperatures in the low 70s with a chance for a thunderstorm, a light wind in from center field. And then finally, Thursday, temperatures in the mid 70s with a slight chance for a shower or a thunderstorm with light winds, yield, uh, light winds in from center field once again. So that's our regular weather segment. And as always, we thank Alexander Hall of the great Cubs weather Twitter account. You can find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall, and you can find Cubs weather on Twitter at Cubs weather does a great job of giving us the heads up and giving all the Twitter followers the heads up on what conditions are going to be like for a given game. Always tells you if there's rain coming, if to, to expect a delay. So we recommend you follow both Alexander on his personal and professional accounts at your earliest opportunity. Yes, great account. I love weather stuff. I've mentioned this many times on the show. Big weather nerd. We've had some really cool storms here in Denver over the last week. So um, good stuff. And I, I love the account. There's pictures. There's radar. I love seeing the radar. Where are the storms? Where are they coming? Where are they going? Randall, how did you know it's raining somewhere in the United States? Check the radar. And it's something that I spent a lot of, it's a hobby here in the summer. I'm, i am always got the radar going and seeing what's going on. You know, Ronan, how do you know where it's raining? And the answer, of course, is you check the radar. That's the age old question. Yeah. How do you know where it's going to rain? Exactly. Right. How do you know? Do you um, know? So uh, the Cincinnati, known as the Queen City. Randall, do you know Denver's nickname? Uh, the Ronan O'Shea City. That Well, it has been. I may be correct. It, the, the Mile High City. Uh, Jeremy, do you know the nickname I'm referring to to Denver? I mean, if you were to ask me what Denver's nickname was, I would I would assume it's Mile High City, but obviously you're asking for something else. I, so, it relates it relates to Cincinnati, actually. home of Dinger, the Red City. So very close, it's very close. So Cincinnati is known as the Queen City, the King and City, and that goes back <laughs> to a period of growth in the 1840s and 1850s. Railroad was a big part of Cincinnati in that time. Denver has a moniker, the Queen City of the Plains. That's uh, something that when I moved out here, I was like, oh, I'd never heard that before. I heard Mile High City. I heard 5280, 303. That's the area code here. All that stuff resonated. But the Queen City of the Plains is a nickname for Denver. I thought that was cool. I like I like those extra names and things that get thrown on with cities. I, that's something that's pretty I mean, cool. it's it's not in the mountains, but it's right next it's to the it's it's near the mountains. I, I, I don't I never really think of Denver as being in the plains. It's elevated. Look east. Look east. That's one of the things that's interesting about this part of the country. If you're anywhere in the front range, you've got some of the largest mountains in the world behind you. Everything west of you, 14,000 foot peaks, everything east, flat as can be. 
and some of the plains in eastern Colorado and in Nebraska, Kansas, that's what you think of. You know, so Denver's in an interesting location where everything east, flat as hell, everything west, good luck. And I think about that a lot when I think of like the explorers and people that were going west in the 1840s, um, looking for gold in California and things like that. Like there were some of those carts. That's what they're called, right? Like the horse and carriage, whatever, whatever they were traveling the in. Wagon. Covered wagons. Wagons. Thank you. That's a better way of putting it. There were some families who they got through Nebraska, they got through Iowa, they got through Illinois, they got to Denver, and they're like, I'm, I'm not out. going over those fucking mountains. We're staying put right here. And those people founded this place, so good for them. You they know? went on those 19th century podcasts and said, there is nothing between <laughs> Omaha and Denver. Well, Evans, Evan, Mr. Evans, right? Uh, he founded uh, Evanston, and then he went out to Denver. And then he went out and he's got a mountain that for yeah. now is named in his honor. But uh, we'll see how much yeah, longer that we'll remains. We'll see how much case. longer that remains. But Denver's about to get a lot of baseball attention. Uh, All-Star game is going to be here. I got my tickets to the Futures game. Uh, a buddy of mine, a sports reporter in Utah, Richard Allen, he and I are going out. We got great seats. Eight of the top 10 prospects in baseball will be appearing in the Futures game. Brendan Davis for the Cubs is going to be out there. I'm excited about that. So I'm really looking forward to it, though. Something that's been popping up here in Denver that's been cool is a ton of baseball stuff. There's banners all over the park. Timmy Anderson is hanging up on a banner a couple of blocks away from the apartment here. All the other festivities that are coming to the convention center is going to have a big free fan fest that I'm looking forward to checking out. Home run derby, all-star game. Randall, it's already in the middle of the season. We're, we're almost mid-July at this point, but I'm looking forward to the party when the baseball world comes to Denver next week. It's, it's crazy. It, you know, you, you start the season in April and the all-star break seems like a, a million miles away. And all of a sudden the voting has started and all of a sudden the all-star game is less than two weeks from now, less than two weeks from tonight, the all-star game and all the festivities will have come and gone. And that's always, uh, you know, the 4th of July to me is kind of like uh, the, the, the halftime show of summer. Like it's kind of all downhill after the 4th of July, but the all-star game is, is really kind of my midpoint. Like if it's post all-star game, then you're really on the downslope. So I'm glad yeah. we're not there yet, but, but it's coming. And, and I'd like to say before we get to start to talking about the all-star game, I am, I don't want to call myself a cynic, but I'm definitely a skeptic. There are definitely a lot of things about MLB that I look at and I just disregard completely. Mm. The home run derby, the home run oh, derby okay. is not, is not one of those things. I am an unabashed fan of the home run derby. I like watching baseball players go up there and hit lobbed baseballs, 600 feet. And I believe it was Charlie Blackman who uh, advocated that they use non-humidor baseballs in this home run derby. And I couldn't possibly be more for that. I want to see Dinger on that outfield concourse out there <laughs> with an air raid helmet running back and forth as meteor baseballs just rain down upon him, maybe re reawakening some genetic memory of those same meteors wiping out his ancestors hundreds of millions of years prior. You want to give him PTSD, uh, huh? That's exactly what I want to do. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I look forward to most home run derbies. I am looking forward to this home run derby and they have a pretty good list already assembled. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shohei Otani is going to be in the home run derby awesome. and that's going to be, that's going to be appointment viewing for, for me, Trevor story, the hometown guy, yeah. he's going to be in the home run derby. Trey Mancini, who was battling cancer, not all that long ago, he's going to be in the home run derby. Pete Alonso is going to be there to defend yeah. his title. This is going to be a fun home run derby. There are going to be some big, strong, talented hitters hitting baseballs in a great environment for hitting baseballs. Yes. And I'm going to be parked in front of my TV watching that. 
something else too. And Randall, I know you're going to be watching in standard definition on your HD TV. Coors Field is a beautiful ballpark. You can say what you want about the dimensions, the massive outfield, the crazy games that get played there. What I'm saying though, is it's a photogenic ballpark and it's a beautiful facility, well-designed. I think it's going to translate very well to the HDTV broadcast experience. You're going to get shots of the mountains in the distance, sunsets this time of the year when the sun hits just behind the mountains. It's incredible. It's just, it's something I've never seen before. So I think all of that's going to translate to really entertaining TV and fun TV. And those, you know, who pay the surcharge for HD are really going to get to bask in the glow of a ballpark that I, I feel very fortunate to get to about 20 games a year at Coors Field because it is a beautiful place to watch baseball. I believe the last time, you know, it was out there was uh, uh, pre-HD TV. So you didn't have that opportunity. Yep. Yeah, it was a 98. Yes, it was 98. 98. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct on that. Uh, 97, I believe, was in Cleveland. Um, but uh, I, I also believe that, which was also pre-Humidor, that that uh, Homer Derby didn't really produce the results that people were looking for. Didn't didn't really have a big, I think Mark McGuire only hit like four homers that year. And the Home Run Derby a year, he had 70 homers. Uh, I think Ken Griffey Jr. ended up winning it. Um, but you know, so it would be interesting to see if we could actually get some real blast this time out there, but I'd be a little afraid of Shohei going out there. I don't want him to come down with like a dead arm and not be able to pitch or something. I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of swings. I was Shohei really surprised he agreed to participate, honestly, because of course he has double the, the physical workload of any other baseball player. He not just gets, he doesn't just get four plate appearances in a game four to five times out of a seven day week, but he also goes out there and does the work of pitching five or six innings. I was really surprised he agreed to participate. And I agree with you, Jeremy. I hope he's able to handle it physically. And I think if anyone is able to handle it physically, it's a guy of his incredible athletic ability, but I was surprised when he agreed to participate. So I want awesome. I want to see no humidor. Hopefully I want to see somebody go up into the center field, the rock pile. Oh yeah. Get up there, get a fan up there. I want to see somebody put a blast up there without, without the humidor. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm excited to see how ESPN, you know, all the criticisms you can say about ESPN broadcasts. Uh, Chris Berman has been the staple of the home run derby. It's obnoxious. I mean, the, you know, back, 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 back is fun for about 10 seconds. And then by hour one or hour two, it's like, Jesus, dude, just stop. Right. But ESPN does a very good job of capturing ballparks. It's one of the things when the Cubs do Sunday night baseball, the broadcast doesn't sound very good, but it often looks pretty good. They do a nice job capturing the ballpark. So I'm eager to see how Coors Field translates. You know, it opened in 1995. They made a ton of renovations to the ballpark in the last 20 years. They took out 5,000 seats in the right field upper deck, replaced it with a bar that's packed all the time. They've got, uh, honestly, a mountain landscape in center field. There's a waterfall, there's trees, there's squirrels and rabbit animals out there. It's just a cool ballpark on TV. So I'm excited to see how it looks. Cats on the field all the time. Um, It should be a lot of fun. And uh, it's a ballpark that, you know, when you think about places that are home run friendly, Coors Field is top of the list. I mean, that's a place where that's where you're going to go see bombs. It'll be fun to watch that play out. And the fact that some of the biggest stars in the game, Alonzo, big market team, all the amazing home runs he hit in his rookie season, he's going out there. Otani might be the most compelling storyline in baseball this year. And it's one that I'm not sure has received enough attention here in the United States. I think about, not that I'm trying to compare him to Ichiro, that wouldn't be fair, but the fanfare when Ichiro was doing what he was doing 20 years ago was rightfully a huge deal. 
I don't know that it's quite as popular these days, 20 years later. I mean, things have changed. The way that baseball is in the national conversation is different. There's a lot more things going on. But I just don't feel like Otani is being celebrated in the way that he should. He's doing things that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. And that's a name in baseball that you're not fucking around when you're talking about Babe Ruth. And what Otani's doing this year is historic. Absolutely. I had Shohei Otani as my, uh, my AL MVP pick when we were doing those picks. That is documented. And for, for as much uh, crap as you give me for my picks a lot of the time, you were in agreement. And so far, I think he's lived up to that. Ronan, one other name I wanted to toss out there. You mentioned the Futures game, the Cubs sending outfield prospect Brennan Davis. Joining him will be right-handed relief prospect Manuel Rodriguez, who cool. was just recently promoted from AA Tennessee to AAA Iowa. This guy's a hard thrower. He's a, a strong dude. He's only 5'11", but he weighs 210, and most of that is, is uh, pitching arm. Uh, so that's a guy who could potentially help the Cubs later this season. He's on the 40 man roster. He was just promoted to Iowa. That's a guy who, if he's able to keep the velocity there and he's able to keep the command, you could see him come up later in the season. So it's, it's notable that he's getting recognition alongside Brennan Davis, one of the more better known outfield prospects in the Cubs system. Yeah. He, uh, he came down with a little bit of a dead arm issue last year. I remember in spring training, uh, he was throwing, they had, they had him up and, you know, he was a guy that the Cubs, it seemed like really, cause they protect, I remember being not a huge surprise, but a little bit of a surprise that the Cubs protected him on the, uh, from the rule five draft. And then they, you know, he came out for his like first spring training appearance and had to come off and people were very worried that, you know, he might've had a real forearm issue, uh, situation with the elbow and it was just kind of a dead arm and, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal. Of course, in the pandemic had hit and it didn't really matter. But, uh, you know, so he's an interesting guy. And as, as Randall said, that guy is uh, he's jacked. He, he has some, uh, you know, he's swole, as they say. I got a question for you both. So I'm going to the Futures game with my buddy Richard. I'm really excited. Richard, awesome Rockies fan, uh, great baseball fan. I'm really looking forward to being out there with him. Our tickets, though, to the Futures game, Randall, includes the celebrity softball game. So my question to you, Randall would you go to both? I'm already going to the Futures game. The ticket includes the celebrity softball game. Would you be there? I Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this a couple different ways. I would not go to the celebrity softball game. <laughs> I would absolutely go to the Futures game and then sit there and stare blankly at a beautiful ballpark while some, and quote unquote, celebrities, and I use the term loosely, play a softball game down there below. Uh, so to answer your question, I would go on that ticket. I would absolutely go to the Futures game and I would sit there with 90% of the ballpark leaving and watch the uh, watch the celebrity softball game. There's no way in hell you'd get me to go just to the celebrity <laughs> softball game alone because I've seen the list of celebrities participating. 90% of those people, I, who the fuck are these people? Jesus <laughs> Christ. The manger. But, you know, Randall, it's funny you say that because I just pulled up the list of celebrities in this softball game. And, okay, we're in Denver. A couple names resonate. Awesome. Like, I get to see Larry Walker. That's going to be really cool to see him swing a bat. It's been a long time since I've seen Larry Walker uh, swing a bat. Vinny Castilla, the two-time MLB All-Star, former Colorado Rockies third baseman. He's going to be there. Randall, one of your guys, Hunter Pence, is going to be at the ballpark. So a chance to see the former Giant and the former Astro. And then really, truly, Randall, one of your all-time favorites, Jenny Finch. The Olympic softball gold medalist will be out there doing her thing. 
Beyond that, I guess CC Sabathia also is going to be there. So it'd be cool to see CC, another guy that I haven't seen in, in goodness, like 13 years or something at a major league baseball game. The other celebrities, honest to God, I don't know who the hell these people are. Kane Brown, a platinum selling country artist, uh, someone named Karamo, who's a TV host. Uh, this is one for Mike Vanderharst, our buddy out in Rhode Island, The Miz, who Isn't apparently. I don't know. He's a WWE oh, no, superstar. That's Never mind. I get confused. I don't uh, know them all. This global social media star by the name of Blake Gray. I don't even know what Ross that means. Butler, Noah Beck, Charles Melton. No fucking clue it's, who these people it's are. Dark, <laughs> dark shit. Once well, you get past so angry. it's dark shit. When he's you get so past angry. the few former major league all stars who are great, they usually have some connection to the city. As you said, Jenny Finch is usually there, usually making them look pretty silly because she can still run it up there throwing with that that power underhand delivery. After that, it gets real bad. Here's a name. Real bad. Um, here's a name that I think all three of us know. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, DK Metcalf. Wide mm -hmm. receiver. He's going to be out there. Here's Son a name of a former bear. I don't know who this guy is. I assume Jeremy does. Randall, I know you're kind of lukewarm on the NBA like I am. Derek White. Do we know who Derek White is? I believe that I name. recognize the name. If you, if you, that name if you, sounds if you, familiar to me. If you told me in no context, if you asked me who is Derek White, I'd probably say NBA player. Uh, yeah. But again, that list gets real bad when you get past the former the former pro athletes. Now, I want to say this. He's you from know, Colorado. I, I don't know. He is from Colorado. I, maybe I should know who Derek White is. He's an NBA player for the San Antonio Spurs, and he played for the University of Colorado, Colorado I didn't Springs, even know that was a school. Mountain Lions. How about that? Mount, he was Mountain Lion. I didn't know who well, Derek let White me, is. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me jump in a little bit, because uh, I, I, I would say that I actually did go to the celebrity softball game. Uh, so my in the same way you did the Futures game, Celebrity Softball game, I did do that in 2003 at uh, the cell on the south side. Well, not the cell anymore. The great, I guess. Um, I don't know if you can go to the Celebrity Softball game just by itself. I feel like it's a, a package deal. There's but, the reason for that, because they're not going to get anybody there otherwise. Well, well, I did go to it. And I would like to point out that looking at the list today, I recognize every single name on the, the list of the people I saw. Let me just read off a few of them. Wade Boggs, Shan okay. Elizabeth, Chris Chelios, Bo Jackson, Harold Baines, Gary Carter, Adam Carolla. Uh, Adam, Jackson, the podcast Raleigh, king. Raleigh Fingers, Kenny Main, and Harold Reynolds with your manager, Sarah Silverman, Goose Gotches, Brett Saberhagen, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, Fred Adam's Lynn, old oh, buddy great, from the man great, show. Yep, Dave Winfield, Jim McMahon, Ryan Sandberg. Uh, and Ozzy Smith, and then there's a couple here I, I actually don't remember. But Dean Kane, Superman, uh, you know, Sarah so Silverman. Like that, that's a lot of names that yeah. you know, and a lot of great baseball players. Like I feel like there's not as many great baseball players. I mean, this is like a lot of like there's more legends than celebrities. Yeah, more no uh, no global social media stars on the celebrity roster in 2003. Well, we did have Andrew Firestone, who I think was the Bachelor. What I'm surprised by. 
was the lack of Broncos. Like, like you couldn't find a former Bronco. You couldn't find an Av, or maybe that's coming. You know, maybe that'll be announced. And it'd be like, oh, look, we got Peyton Manning to come out here to hit a dinger or two. That would be fun. But it seems odd to me that there weren't any Broncos. Avs have a Stanley Cup team in the 90s. Like, there, there's some guys that could be back here that could be playing in that that would be the equivalent of, like, a Ryan Sandberg or something. But, boy, the celebrity pool – there's no Adam Carolla, let me put it that way, coming to Coors Field this year. I'm, Adam Carolla and Jimmy I'd like to say this. CC Sabathia being the hitter that he was on the rare occasion where he got to hit as a mostly American League pitcher, I think he's going to hit a dinger. I think he's going to hit a softball dinger. He's going to hit dinger. Oh, no. Yeah, he's going to hit dinger, and he's going to hit a dinger uh, over that that tarp fence, that plastic fence they put 200 feet away from home plate. I don't think he's going to hit a, a softball home run in the celebrity uh, celebrity softball game. So you heard it here first. I have made a celebrity softball game prediction. This is not a coded cry for help. Just a, just a thought I had in passing. And a quick plug I want to throw in too. Um, we're on Twitter at BTYL podcast. And the reason I mentioned that is I'll have some great pictures of uh, Brendan Davis doing his thing. I'm also going to go to that fan fest. I'm excited. I figure Clark will probably be there. Maybe Lucille Dinger, a chance to meet him. I haven't been around Dinger since 2016 when I was uh, uh, out here at a hockey game, actually at Coors Field. First time I got a chance to meet Dinger. But if there's any interesting Cubs things or Cubs exhibits or anything that ties back to the team, I'll make a point to get that out there just so y'all can experience a little bit of the all-star festivities in week here in Denver. That's at BTYL podcast. And uh, speaking of the all-star game, Randall, some difficult news for the Cubs tonight. They had hope that there were five finalists that could have been in starting positions for the Cubs, Rizzo, KB, Javi, Wilson Contreras, Jock Wilson. And we found out tonight, no Cubs are going to be starting in the 2021 all-star game for the national league. So a bit of a bummer. They're going to have all-stars, no doubt about that. They're going to have multiple all-stars, but a bummer. No one's going to be starting wearing uh, the cup be blue. Uh, you know, I always say it's better to be a reserve all-star because you get in a little more on merit. We all know what fan voting is like, and I'm completely guilty of that. I'm more than happy to vote all cubs, especially if somebody promises me a, a signed baseball or some other trinket. Um, and especially now that the game has been returned to its rightful place as a purely exhibition game. Um, but yeah, it, it's a little unfortunate. You would have liked to see them in that, that starting lineup getting some recognition, but that's okay. And, you know, people say a lot of the time, oh, don't vote your guy in. You want them to stay and stay home and get some rest. You know what? It's the all-star game. You like to see your guys represented there. There's nothing quite as depressing as only sending one all-star to the all-star game, your, your token all-star. So I don't, I'm, you know, I, I don't really think like that. And the Cubs are probably due to get, as you said, at least two. Kimbrel is a virtual lock. It's really difficult to make the all-star team as a relief pitcher, but if you are uh, an untouchable closer, chances are you're going to get there because they love putting closers on that team. I would say Chris Bryant and maybe Kyle Hendricks are kind of secondary chances, probably Bryant more so than Hendricks. It would be nice to see Hendricks get a little recognition, even if it's kind of more for his past work than this season, not that he's been bad. He's really picked it up this season. So I think Kimbrell and probably Bryant are apt to go. And maybe a guy like Andrew Chafin or Ryan Tapera makes it. It's as difficult as it is to make the all-star team as a closer. It's even more difficult to do it as a middle reliever because that is usually where they will get the token loan all-star from some of the really bad teams. 
they'll find the one reliever in that Diamondbacks bullpen who isn't god awful, and they'll say, "Here's your one All Star." But the Cubs certainly have a few players who are worthy of recognition, and we'll find out uh, Sunday night, July fourth, whether any of them will make it in that capacity. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed, Randall, because uh, I they don't have the ballots anymore at the ballpark. And I feel like, how do we even trust this uh, uh, process without paper ballots? You know, you might need to audit the results or something. I don't know if, and what's up with this like phased voting? I, I don't well, understand. They started the phased voting in the last couple seasons. Yeah. They, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of don't mind it just because you, you want to narrow it down in the second, in the second stage, you know, there's no point in voting for the guy in like 10th place when it's three days before the deadline. So I, I kind of don't mind it. I like, well, they just screwed the over Chris Bryant, Bryant would it have did, been the it winner. Did screw over Chris Bryant. That's true. But as often as not, you're going to get the right guy in there. And you know, it screwed over well, Chris Bryant. I only, I agree with you chiefly because who ended up getting voted in ahead of him. I'm not going to name the name or the team because we don't say those names in this household, but you know, it's all right. Brian will probably get in as a reserve. That means more anyway than a bunch of fans underneath the arch, all hitting, vote, 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 vote on wow. what I assume are their old like Apple two E's. Cause that's all they have down there. Wow. Hooked up to the internet too. Uh, right. But that's what I was going to say is I, I, I do feel Brandall. Do you feel any responsibility for Chris Bryant not getting in? Me personally? I feel like no, in year, I did Well, in part. years past, did you do your part? Cause I feel like in years past, you were a much stronger presence on the Twitter, on the social media, well, the hashtags voting, trying to, to get guys in. And I don't well, feel like this year you were as strong of a those presence. were in years where the hashtags were the means of voting. Anthony Rizzo getting in as that last guy on the roster in, I want to say 2014, you voted him in by getting engagement on that vote Rizzo hashtag. I promise you, if they tell me that Chris Bryant will be made an all-star, if I can get a hashtag to light on fire, I will be right there doing that. But that is not the case this year. You know, you gotta, you gotta save your bullets for when they count, Jeremy. But do you trust these results when Chris Bryant no. was so far ahead in the first phase and then the second phase, you get a Nolan Arenado and Chris Bryant comes in like a distant third. I, it's hard for me to trust these results, and especially without the paper ballots that they used to have, which I used to love in the ballpark. I, it seems like there could be a lot of fraud here. Look, there, Jeremy, there is... if you're if you're suggesting that we storm MLB headquarters in New York, you're on your own on this one. Well, there is no that doubt far, but... that. Nolan Arenado starting at third base at Coors Field was happening no matter how many votes were going to Chris Bryant. But I'll say this. I have not voted for a major league all-star game since I was probably 14. And I used to take that very seriously when you could get the ballot at Wrigley. I'd fill it out in the ballpark. I'd stuff the ballot box, the online thing. It's not the same. It's just not the same. It's it not. doesn't do it for me. I the punch I, hole. Whatever. It's yeah. so cold and impersonal. Hole. Yeah. It's just, it's uh, from a lost time. And, um, it makes sense for the Rockies to be putting, I mean, it makes sense to have Nolan here starting at third base. And I can actually hear they're going crazy at Coors Field right now. The crowd is very, very loud. I think that means the Cardinals just lost. And I'll look at the score here in a minute, but windows open in the apartment and the roar of the crowd uh, deafening right now, as it looks like maybe the Rockies um, beat the Cardinals. And that's a good thing. We always get behind that uh, before we go today couple of quick things to kind of bring some things home. Um, I wanted to ask you both and Randall was that thumbs up that the Rockies did it. They beat the Cardinals. Uh, Elias Diaz. He, instead of walking with Elias, he decided to Homer with Elias, uh, a walk-off three-run Homer and Ronan O'Shea's Colorado Rockies with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning. They do walk off the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm all for that. Nolan Arenado returned to Coors Field. Oh, four, four 
with a strikeout and a man left on base. Uh, so not a good return home for Nolan. Um, uh, he's going to hit some balls out of the ballpark this weekend. It's firework nights tomorrow and Saturday, which means there's going to be 50,000 people at Coors Field the next two nights, each of the next two nights, that is. So no one's going to hit one out. I think Friday or Saturday, give the uh, sellout crowd uh, a lot of fun before the fireworks start. And that kind of leads into something that I wanted to ask both of you. We're coming up on the big holiday here. Randall, you sort of teased this earlier. Folks, this is my favorite day of the year. Fourth of July, easily the number one holiday for me. It's got everything you want baseball the best food right it's the best food holiday without question none of that turkey nonsense turkey is really not very good we kind of put up with it for a day in november every year but you get that grill going you got brats you got polish you got burgers you got dogs you got chicken there are baseball games there's fireworks concerts fourth of july can't be beaten i'm ready for it folks i'm really excited i bought bunting randall I've got bunting here ready to go on the patio. I'm ready for the 4th of July. The only good bunting is the kind that gets hung on a railing. I'd like to note, I I put up with turkeys a lot more frequently than just one day out of the year. I just wanted to get that out there. I don't. Yeah. Um, But Ronan, you're you're right. You know, grill food is the best food. I don't know what we call that uh, genre-wise. It's not Italian food. It's not Mexican food. American food. Yeah, you know, you could call it American food. But that is my favorite variety of food, ballpark food. I like to call it dogs, chicken, burgers, fries. It is the best type of food. And 4th of July is made for that holiday. There's no other holiday that I think incorporates the art of grilling and cooking outside better than the 4th of July. It's awesome. Jeremy, any, anything big going for you here with the 4th? I'm thinking about trying to smoke some ribs. So we'll see how that goes down. That'd be great. That'd be great. Randall, any plans, anything you're looking forward to this weekend? Uh, You know, I live in an area where a lot of people like to do kind of their own uh, amateur backyards fireworks show last year. It sounded like every dwelling around me was doing that just nonstop pop, pop, pop. So I'll, I'll probably find something to, to grill on my Cubs grill and I'll, I'll open the windows and I'll let the, the, the sweet symphony of gunpowder and various powdered metals uh, (laughs) float through the window. That's awesome. That's a lot of fun. And and I'll say something I look forward to. It's been awesome living out here in Denver. The Rockies are always home around the fourth. They always do two fireworks nights, the Friday night game and the Saturday night game. And both of you have been here. You, you know how close I am to Coors Field. The fireworks that they launch at Coors Field is out beyond the left field fence. And I'm maybe 500 feet past that, uh, 600 feet past that. So what I do every year is I go up on the roof of the parking deck here at the apartment complex, and I'm basically underneath the fireworks show at that point. So I'm looking forward to it Friday, Saturday too, kind of back-to-back nights. Uh, And it's just, this is easily my favorite time of the year. And to have Nolan back in town, one thing I noticed today, just walking around after work, Randall, the infestation of Cardinals fans in Denver this weekend. There were Goldschmidt jerseys. There were Yachty jerseys. I was hoping to see a DeYoung. It's the only Cardinal I'll ever like, Paul DeYoung, the uh, former Illinois State Redbird. But a whole lot of uh, disgusting bat on bir- bird on bat logos and a whole lot of people from Missouri filling up the streets of Denver. You know, bat on bird, that sounds violent, but I'm not against it. Um <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm sorry that your fair city has been overrun with these these locusts from the Midwest. Uh, I hope you're able to clear them out in short order because, you know, those are dangerous. They'll they'll eat your crops. They'll they'll damage your buildings. They'll they'll screech about being the best locusts in baseball. It's, it's better to get them out sooner versus later. 
Well, I've had the Cubs gear on strong since the uh, Cardinals fans have rolled into town. A Cubs hat, Cubs jacket, walking around and uh, just ready for a conversation with anybody who wants to talk baseball. Uh, Use but small it'll be words, small words, <laughs> minimal syllables. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to share with everybody here before we break. And uh, I had a bit of a incident, Randall, occur earlier this week. I've been on my own with Huxley the dog. Uh, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, dog's recovering from some pretty intense procedures. He's got about two and a half weeks to go, and then he'll be in the clear. As long as he recovers well in the next two and a half weeks, we're going to have a very happy, healthy, and excited dog, you know, for hopefully the next 10 plus years or so. But me and Huxley, Tuesday night, it was a near no hitter for the Rockies. I came back a little bit after the game. I had my uh, patio door open, and I'm ground level city apartment right in the middle of downtown Denver and a mouse comes into the apartment, Randall. Randall, there was a broadcaster a couple years ago who kept saying there's a mouse in the house or mouse That's in the house. Stacy King of the bulls mouse in the house is one of his, uh, his phrase, his catchphrases. What does it mean pertaining to basketball? You know, he uses his catchphrases very, in very versatile fashion. I feel like they mean a lot of different things, but I, I, my, my limited basketball knowledge tells me that he uses it for kind of a shorter player. Who's able to sneak in there and get to the basket or anyone who's just kind of able to cut through the defense, cut behind the defense and get to the basket undetected. That's, that's what context clues tell me. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. And the reason I mentioned that is a mouse comes into the apartment. And at this point it was about 11 o'clock at night after the ball game, middle of the week, and the thing with Huxley is his heart rate can't get up right now. The big thing is just keeping his heart rate down for two and a half more weeks, and then he's clear. So my fear was mouse running around the apartment, dog's going to get excited, he's going to take off, and now I've got a real problem on my hands. Got to get rid of the mouse, got to keep the dog calm. Huxley could not have cared less that there was a mouse in the apartment. He looked at me, in fact, we made eye contact after the mouse ran in and he sort of shrugged like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not, I don't you've, care about there's a mouse this. in the house. You've got this. It's you, right. It's, this is your job. I, I thought a mouse in the house, not to go back a little bit. I, I, I think he was doing a, it was a mismatch. It was like when a smaller guy was kind of down low guarding a bigger guy. That's and that could that could with. well be it too. And again, that that extends beyond the the orbit of my limited basketball knowledge. So if if that is more logical, I defer to you. Well, that put me in the position of the mouse is small and fast. I'm a lot bigger than a mouse, but I can't cover as much territory as the mouse does. So I had to figure out on my own with a sick dog in the apartment. What do you do with the mouse in the house? So I ran across the street to the grocery store. I got these traps that are glue. So it doesn't kill the mouse, but it you touch that glue, you're not going anywhere. Laid them out, um, coaxed the mouse out. Sure enough, the mouse ends up stuck in the glue in the apartment. So here's my question to you both. You're on your own. No one else to help you. How do you get the mouse out of the apartment once it is still alive in the glue in your kitchen? Because well, that's the predicament that I was in. Here's my question to you is, does the, do these traps come with like a solvent for the glue where you can like put the trap outside, dissolve the glue and let the little bugger run free? Does the, the traps come with that? Uh, it does not, but there are instructions. There is a liquid you can pour on it to ultimately, it will not necessarily kill the mouse. Although, you know, the mouse is probably having a heart attack when it's in there stuck in the glue while there's a dog running around and an idiot with a big beard going, what the hell am I going to do with this live mouse in my apartment? But but would you how the question I guess I'm asking is, so the mouse is alive. It's in the glue. 
Randall, are you just going to walk up and pick up the tray? I, I don't see you doing that. How do you get the mouse out of the apartment? Well, Ronan, I've been, I've actually dealt with a couple of mice before, never in my apartment, always in professional buildings. Um, and okay. all, the and on all occasions, I've been fortunate enough that they've either been inside like a recycling bin that I can easily pick up with confidence that the mouse is not going to jump out and do whatever to me. And they take it outside, you gently dump it out and tell it to be on its way. Or in some occasions, there's an open door a couple feet away. And, you know, I grab a nearby snow shovel and I gently coax it out the door. I tell it you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, I would be, that's probably what I would try and do just because a dead mouse is not fun for anyone. There's, there's nothing good that comes out of a dead mouse. You can't throw it away. You don't want to throw it out into the street where someone's going to run over it, especially because right outside your window, that's not going to be fun. So I would try and find some way if it were me to get it back outside um, in good health and able to go about its day. Jeremy, you got a mouse in the glue in your kitchen how do you get it out of there? Because I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want the mouse to get out of the glue. I was hoping to have a shovel. I don't have a shovel here at the apartment. I couldn't pick it up that way. What would you have done? So what is it actually? You said it was on a tray? It's in basically a tray of glue. And a the mouse was half in it, but it couldn't escape. I learned I, it couldn't escape, but it was like half in two of its – it was funny sort of. I'm Not to torture the poor mouse – the mouse was able to move the tray across the floor a little bit, but he couldn't, he couldn't get out of it. So he was, oh, he was stuck. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> this thing took three and a half hours for me to get the mouse out of the house. You don't have like one of those like uh, claw things you can like to grab high, you know, stuff with or something. Do you know what I did? What'd I did do? what any sane human would do. I got the three wood. And I don't, I don't mean that I, I don't mean I hit the mouse. I'm not saying that at all. I took the rubber part of the, the grip of the three wood and I held the wood portion of it like the club head and I was able to dip it into the remaining glue that didn't have the mouse and drag it outside. That's how I did it. Um, It's stuck. Yeah. And the the problem with that is when I tried to fling the mouse so it could get off the club, the glue had hardened and the glue was stuck to the three wood outside the apartment. I was was a mess, man. Maybe you could take an iron and use the club head to, come from the other side and like kind of push it along or you could just you know stick your hand down there and grab the tray oh no chance i couldn't get that close well the, I, i'm soft you say, i admit i didn't grow up with mice when you well <laughs> grow up with mice well like, people who had barns with... or people who you know grew up in rural areas they'd be more familiar okay, with okay. it where i, was, I grew I up just, there was no I was mice just thinking other than cinderella who grows up with mice <laughs> i think <laughs> but, people who have properties well like the thing farms, I, understand, yeah. I understand what you're saying i was just on a farm i didn't i didn't see any mice but uh, the thing was moving around, so that that kind of puts a little bit out there, you know, to reach down and grab it. But like, maybe you should invest in a mice removal system. Well, the door gets shut now. That's something that I haven't I haven't been able to open it up since then because um, it was bad. Timing was bad. Like I said, it took three and a half hours. That mouse man came into my house and uh, it really threw a wrench into the week. It had added some stress. Uh, on a night that I wasn't uh, looking for that. So a tough situation there with the mouse in the house. Uh, but that's all we got. That's a Randall Jeremy speechless. They don't know. They don't know how to bounce back from a mouse in the house story. Um, but uh, good to be back here. Uh, we should end on this. This is episode number 25. When I think of 25, Derek Lee, D 
Dealey, one of the great all-time 25s. Randall, send us off with a couple of former Cubs 25s, and we'll be back here soon, hopefully with the Cubs playing better baseball than they've played the last uh, 10 days or so. Ronan, there are some names on the number 25 list that are very much from your era of early fandom. We have Carl Tuffy Rhodes, who is a number 25. Luis Gonzalez was a 25, as was Dave Hansen. Orlando Merced, uh, great former Cubs manager Don Baylor, was a 25. Troy O'Leary from the 2003 Mm. division champion Chicago Cubs was a number 25. Derek Lee, of course, is the first one who comes to mind. It's bounced around a little since then, been on a lot of coaches. Dave Keller, Chris Bazio, Will Venable, uh, Jonathan Lucroy Ward in his brief time as a Cub. And right now it is attached to Austin Romine, who is on the injured list. But of course, as you said, Derek Lee, the first player who comes to mind for me in number 25. Jeremy, any 25s resonate in your heart? Uh, obviously, Derek Lee, um, you know, the first one you mentioned. So uh, off that list, you know, not really. I mean, those are those are those. I mean, Randall listed all the guys right there. I mean, I remember Tuffy Rhodes going off three homers. I honestly did not remember what Luis Gonzalez's number was as a Cub. So it's nice to know it was 25. But Derek Lee, it's got to be the guy. Next time, 26, we're talking Billy Williams. Stan, you asked us to do that for a long time, so we'll get that one going. Um, And we'll be back. So happy 4th of July. Enjoy your Independence Day. Hope it's fun. I hope it's safe. Hope the Cubs play good baseball this weekend in Cincinnati. We'll be back next time on Behind the Yellow Line.